This podcast contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, I'm Kayla. I'm Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Kayla. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? (laughs) If you know where that's from, you are allowed to continue listening. If you do not, you are also allowed to continue listening. But just know that I'm looking down upon you. (laughs) Side eye. (laughs) Side eye. What you got for me today? So, for this episode, I thought we would go in a different direction. I thought I would tell our first missing case on the podcast. A whole new world. <laughs> if y'all didn't know, y'all didn't know this about Katie, but she can sing. Like Katie can sing. She cannot. She can. <laughs> but yeah, so I find missing cases probably the most intriguing. I do. I I love a good weird missing case. I shouldn't say I love it, but they're just so... Cause people don't just disappear. People don't just I float think, away into midair. I think I find it so fascinating because they people do. They just like just fall face of the earth. But they don't. People don't do that is what I'm saying. No, they don't do that. Which is why it's so weird. So I'm going to get into our first missing case. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we've had a long day. Yeah. I haven't. No, you've... I slept most of today, if I'm being real straight up honest. I love that for you. I loved it for me, too. Yeah. (laughs) I think most of us remember, well, those of us who are old enough to remember, Katie, you were just like a little over a year year old. old. Barely. (laughs) Um, But where we were on September 11th, 2001, I was in the third grade. I can remember watching the footage on TV and being utterly confused i can remember just the mayhem afterwards the days following i can remember just the generational trauma that continues to go on to this day Mm -hmm. in the wake of 9-11 there were thousands of people that were reported missing from that day so many families were desperate to find their loved ones it was a very chaotic and heartbreaking time there is someone's story from that day that a lot of people haven't heard of. And that story is of Dr. Sneha and Philip. Me included. I have I have not heard this. It's 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 wild. It's wild. So Sneha Philip was born on October seventh, nineteen sixty nine, in the southern Indian province of Kerala. When Sneha was still very young, her and her family moved to the United States and settled in New York. Sneha graduated from John Hopkins University and in 1995 decided she was going to go into medicine. 
That is when she enrolled in Chicago School of Medicine. She wanted to be a doctor like her dad. Right. Med school is where she met Ron Lieberman, whom she started dating. Ron was from Los Angeles and a year behind her. They had similar creative interests. Ron loved music and he played the guitar. Sneha loved painting. Sneha ended up taking a year off of school to travel around Italy so that Ron could catch up and they could graduate together. And if you think... That's so precious. It's precious, but it's badass, too. She's like, I'm going to go travel around Italy while you catch up. Well, that's true. You know, like, (laughs) it's precious, but it's also like, hell yeah. (laughs) After graduating in 1999, they both moved to New York City. They got a small apartment in New York City. Ron got an internship at Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx, and Sneha got one at Cabrini Medical Center in East Village. They got married in May of 2000. It was a small ceremony where they blended both of their cultures, Jewish and Syrian Christianity. Not too long after getting married, they moved to Battery Park City in Manhattan. Monday, September 10th, 2001 was a seemingly normal day for the couple. 31-year-old Sneha had the day off from work. She spent the day cleaning and getting the apartment ready because her cousin was coming for dinner that Wednesday. Like. Sounds like everybody else's off days in the world. I mean... You ain't got no off day. If someone's coming for dinner, I'm gonna have to clean my house like two days in advance. That's just because... I, to- I totally relate to that. Your youngest <laughs> thinks that your house is a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. Throw it around. Little tornado. Mm-hmm. She hopped on instant message with her mom around 2 p.m. And when I read that, it automatically brought me back to hopping on instant message. <laughs> like AOL and Yahoo back in the day. Like, I love doing that. You probably don't remember. I just barely missed that cut. (laughs) I, for like maybe a year, would talk to my god sister on like the little Yahoo instant Mm -hmm. message thing. But that didn't, it it didn't last very long. Yeah. And like, I remember everyone having like the embarrassing like usernames and emails. Oh God. Yeah. Oh Lord. It was, yeah. So yeah, she got on to instant message with her mom around 2 p.m. that day and was on there for a couple of hours and they talked about different things. Sneha told her about her plans that day to run errands, and she also mentioned that she wanted to go to Windows of the World sometime that week. Windows of the World was located on the 106th and 107th floors of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Her friend was getting married there in the spring, and she wanted to check it out. After their conversation, she signed off about 4 p.m. to run her errands. Sneha headed out, taking Ron's American Express card with her. Sneha dropped off some dry cleaning and then went to Century 21, which was a discount department store that was not too far from their apartment and also not too far from the Twin Towers. Sneha did a little shopping that day. Credit card records show that she bought some lingerie, a dress, some linens, and pantyhose. After that, she headed next to the shoe annex where she bought three pairs of shoes. Get it, girl. She she was having like a, you know, treat yourself day. She was. It seems. Damn straight. She just got out of med school. She should get this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That is the last known or really confirmed whereabouts of Sneha from that day. Ron gets home that night after work around midnight. Interns work crazy hours like that. Yeah, long hours. He realizes that Sneha is not home, but wasn't too concerned. Sneha apparently had a habit of staying out late without calling Ron to let him know. Okay. He had to be up early the next morning, so he just made a mental note to remind Sneha to call him if she was going to be out late next time. When he wakes up on the morning of September 11th, 2001, he sees that Sneha still isn't home. However, he still isn't too worried. He figured she stayed at her cousin's or brother's apartment. 
She apparently did that. Often. Often, yeah. And this was not a time where we had cell phones and text each other everything really not, quite yet. Like, we had cell phones, but not texting cell phones. Yeah, it wasn't like, not everyone had a cell phone. Yeah, Sneha did not have a cell phone. You weren't hooked to your cell phone like you are now. Yeah, Ron had a cell phone. She didn't. Right. So, Ron headed to work. He had a meeting that morning. It wasn't until the meeting was over and he saw his colleagues crowded around a TV watching the news that he started to worry. By that time, a plane had struck the North Tower. Ron immediately called home. If you remember, their apartment wasn't very far from the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. So his initial thought wasn't, oh, she was at the tower. He just, there was panic and chaos. You wanted to call your loved ones. Yeah, he just wanted to know where she was. Right. He left a bunch of messages, but Sneha never called back. Ron reached out to her family to see if anyone had heard from her, but no one had. I can only imagine the panic that started to set in for Ron. I mean, the whole city was in panic. Heck, the whole country was. Even though we didn't know the full details or extent of what was going on, we were panicked. My mom made my dad get me out of school that day. Mm -hmm. So for your loved one to be missing in the midst of this chaos, I'm sure Ron was just beside himself. There was just an extra level of just fear. Scared. Yeah. 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 As we all know, both towers had been struck and collapsed within an hour and 42 minutes. Ron was at work waiting for the influx of the injured and ultimately the casualties. Right. That came from the collapse of the towers. However, not much was happening at that point. And around 3 p.m., he decided he couldn't wait any longer to find Sneha. He hitched a ride on an ambulance that was headed towards Ground Zero. Because the city was in chaos, it took six hours to just get there. So he's just on a car for six hours. In the ambulance, yeah. And you're just panicking about everything that's going mm-hmm. on. On top of that, he's panicking about where his wife is. Yeah. And you're just stuck in the in a vehicle with probably strangers for six hours. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not, and you're probably not in a talkative mood yeah, while no. this is going on. I'm Everyone's sure it was scared, just, you know? Yeah. Ron started walking to his apartment once they were able to get through at around 9 p.m. Now, the thought, like I said, the thought of Sneha being at the World Trade Center hadn't really crossed his mind. It was just more of like trying to find her in the midst of the chaos. The area was being blocked by police, but because he was in scrubs, he was able to get through. Another obstacle that was in his way when he finally was able to reach the apartment was that there was no electricity. It had either been shut off or literally just been taken out. Just been taken out. So because there was no electricity, the doors to their apartment wouldn't open. After some time and realizing that Sneha most likely wasn't there, He headed to a friend's house in West Village where he spent a mentally excruciating night on the couch. They couldn't open their doors with a key? I think, you know, like most New York apartments where like you just have like the buzzer probably or like like a a code. I would think, I don't know. I'm hoping at this point they change that because this is... I'm sure, but like there was like 23 floors to this apartment building. So I'm, I'm not sure, but all I know is he couldn't get in to his apartment. Well, that's horrifying. Yeah. He stayed the night on his friend's couch. Early the next morning, Ron tried again, and this time he was able to get in. One of the windows had been open, and dust from the collapse of the towers had accumulated in their apartment. That's scary. Yeah. Ron did not see any sign that Sneha had come home. The only tracks in the dust he could make out were of their two kittens, Figa and Callie. Oh. Yeah. Just little paw prints, just crisscrossing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Ron tried retracing Sneha's steps. 
He checked the computer to see if it would provide any clues. He found the messages from Sneha and her mom where she told her mom about her plans on the 10th. Ron then called American Express, and that's how he learned about the purchases made at Century 21. He started putting out flyers and even talked to television reporters to try to get her face out across the country. However, when they learned that she was last heard from on the 10th, they no longer were interested in her story. They wanted 9-11 stories. Right. Ron asked Sneha's brother, John, to come down and talk with reporters and suggested that he leave out the fact that she went missing the day before. Just, like, leaving, just leave out some details. Right. They were all desperate and wanted to do anything they could to get Sneha's picture out there. John did just that and more. John had not spoken to Sneha in a couple of weeks, but despite that, he told reporters that he was actually on the phone with Sneha while she was at the World Trade Center. He said that she told him that she couldn't leave because people were hurt, and the last thing she said to him was, I have to help this person. Okay. Did he make this up to get it out, or is this true? So the lie worked. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) The lie worked for at least a little while. The news outlets ran her picture. Nothing came from it, however. And John was beginning to worry that it was preventing her from being found because she was automatically made a hero. Like, it was a hero story. And people were kind of just leaving it at that. Like, they wanted to find Sneha, and people were like, well, she perished at the towers. You know what I'm saying? Right, they just placed her dead there. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. they thought that she was there because somebody was a liar liar pants on fire Mm -hmm. and i get it like they were desperate and there was you know they wanted her story to get attention right and you don't know what you're gonna do in that situation you don't but i would it was was just that i would think more logically than that because they're just without knowing they're hindering any sort of investigation Mm -hmm. that could be had looking for her yeah Ron filed two missing reports, and initially, investigators assumed she died at the World Trade Center. That's the conclusion that that they originally came to. Mm-hmm. Ron had posters posted at the Century 21 stores. The one Sneha was at that day was temporarily closed due to the recent events, like the attacks, mm-hmm. but thought maybe someone would recognize her. And someone did. A week later, Ron receives a phone call from Sonia Mora, She was a store clerk at the Century 21 store that Sneha frequented. She told Ron that she remembers Sneha being there on the 10th with a friend. She described this friend as a young woman, possibly Indian. Ron was able to get a hold of the videotape from that day and found a recording of his wife browsing the store. However, they didn't see anyone with Sneha, and the person that was supposedly with her was never identified. Ron felt as though police were not being very helpful in the beginning because they were... They just wanted to lump her in with the other victims of 9-11. You're telling me you said it was the lady that was working at the store? Yeah, saw Sneha with With a friend. someone? With someone, yeah. But then they check the camera footage and she's there by herself? They just see Sneha. They don't see anyone with Sneha. Is this lady... Is she, is she okay? I don't, I don't know. Like, she's just never been ad- identified. They don't know if maybe the store clerk was mistaken. But is there someone even to identify? They they do not see Sneha's friend or the woman she was with on video. But the store clerk says that she saw Sneha with someone. How does she see someone with her in her store? But then they look at the video camera, camera footage of her in the store. And 
There's no one? Like I said, she could have been mistaken, I guess. Ron felt as though police were not being very helpful in the beginning because they just wanted to lump her in with the other victims of 9-11. So Ron hired a private detective, Ken Gallant. Ken Gallant uncovered two pieces of evidence that could suggest that Sneha returned home the morning of September 11th. One being a phone call that was made to Ron's cell phone at 4 a.m. It came from their home phone. Ron doesn't have any memory of making that call, but said he could have checked his messages like barely awake. Like, he Mm -hmm. could have woken up and, like, sleepily checked his messages. But he just doesn't remember. So he would have been in the house, but a phone call was made to his cell phone from the house phone. So, yeah. So, like, back then, you know, if you wanted to check your messages on your phone, you could use another phone to do that. You could call your your number and and check your voicemail. So that's what they think he did. Okay. It's from the home phone called his cell phone to check his messages. I was thinking, why would she be in the house with him? And he's there, probably in their bedroom or something, and then call his cell phone while she's in the house. That wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no. I feel like the biggest piece of evidence of her coming back to the apartment is the footage they got from the building security footage. It's of a woman in the lobby, and the timestamp of the video was 8.43 a.m. That was just three minutes before the first tower was struck, before the north tower was struck. It also lines up with Ron's testimony that he gave later that Sneha usually came home from her nights out between 7 to 9 a.m. The video was very poor due to the sunlight, so Ron couldn't be sure if it was her. However, the video shows a silhouette of a woman that looks a lot like Sneha. Her hair and what the woman was wearing was consistent with what Sneha was wearing the day she went missing. Mm -hmm. She was not carrying any of the shopping bags, though. The woman stands near the elevator, then turns to leave a couple of minutes later. Ken Gallant also investigated the theory that Sneha used the attack to start a new life. He searched the hard drive on her computer, but found no evidence that she was planning to do so. She also left behind her glasses, all of her identification, and credit cards. The only thing she took with her on the 10th was Ron's American Express card, which hadn't been used since she was at Century 21 in the shoe annex. yeah. Ron did keep that account open just in case. It was used. Mm -hmm. Or it could lead to any other clues. Right, of course. Sneha's disappearance was not really a priority of the NYPD due to the attacks. As much as I hate it for the family, and I'm sure that was very frustrating because at the end of the day, that's your family, that's your loved one, and you need them to be a priority. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in any other case, I would usually say the police dropped the ball. But I can't really fault them. I mean, they, they had... There, yeah, this was a lot. Yeah. I mean, they had lost officers in the attacks. Right. Their their resources were stretched thin. They just didn't have the manpower. You know, we were also... You know, New York City was, was just in chaos. But also, we were gearing up to go to war. Mm-hmm. Our country so, I mean, this was... It, it's, un, it's very understandable that the police's main focus was... Mm-hmm. 9-11, the Twin Towers, find these people, things of that nature. Yeah. Prepare ourselves, try to build ourselves back mm-hmm. versus, which, you know, you always want to be like, well, the cops shouldn't investigate, but at, at this this particular They just didn't have the manpower. They yeah. just, they did not have the manpower. When they really started looking into it, though, when they started to really investigate Sneha's case, they uncovered details about Sneha's life, details that would paint this story in a different light and would suggest that maybe something did happen to Sneha before the attack. 
Police found that Cabrini Medical Center, where Sneha was interning, did not renew her contract, which is essentially firing her. Yeah, their reasoning for this was repeated tardiness and alcohol-related issues. Not too long after that, she went out to a bar with other Cabrini employees. While there, she got into a dispute with a fellow intern. Sneha reported to police that the intern groped her. Oh, dang. The report was investigated, and the charges were ultimately dropped, and the Manhattan DAs charged Sneha with falsely reporting an incident. They offered to drop the charge if Sneha recanted her complaint, but she refused and ended up being held in jail overnight. With all of this going on, what? You have a look on your face. mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I did too. I had mixed feelings about it too. With all of this going on, Sneha began spending nights out at gay and lesbian bars, and she would sometimes go home with women from these bars. Remember when I said that Sneha and her brother John had not spoken in a couple of weeks yeah. leading up to her disappearance? Mm-hmm. Well, a detective who was investigating Sneha's case wrote up a report of a conversation he had with John. In the report, it says John told the detective that one night he walked in on Sneha and his girlfriend having sex. It was also reported that on the morning of September 10th, Sneha had court where she pled not guilty to the charge of filing a false complaint. What? This woman was busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she pled not guilty to the charge of filing a false complaint. Ron met her there before work. It is reported that him and Sneha got into an argument about her abusing alcohol and staying out all, all the time. Mm-hmm. During this time, she also got an internship with St. Vincent's Medical Center, but was having similar problems there and had been suspended for missing appointments with her substance abuse counselor. Her family disputes all of this. They say what happened at Cabrini had nothing to do with her abusing alcohol, but that she had been a whistleblower for racial and sexual bias. The hospital has no evidence of this com- of like of any complaint. However, Ron said that Sneha attending lesbian bars was completely innocent. She liked going to them because men couldn't hit on her. And she didn't want a repeat of what happened with her co-worker. There are lots of people who do that. I know, yeah. I mean, that's not an uncommon thing. And also, I mean, they're typically more fun than a regular bar, (laughs) to be quite frank. (laughs) Yeah. And he also said the women she went home with, she never had sex with. He claims that they would just listen to music or paint. Okay. 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 He also says the fighting at the courthouse never happened either. John, her brother, says the report of him finding his girlfriend and Sneha was false and never happened. He says he never even met with the detective who made the report. Who the fuck is this detective? Well, but here's the thing, like, why would a detective make up that whole conversation? And I'm sure while investigating Sneha's disappearance, they interviewed her her entire family. So I'm sure he spoke with a detective. So, I just don't know why he would make up an entire... I know. I, I don't know what to make of it. To her family, Sneha was in the process of getting her life back together. Her career, her mental health, everything. And so, her disappearance just this has to be was unrelated. Shocking. I know. This is a lot. This is a lot. And that's just... That's all real weird to me about the investigator. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, my thing is, like... 
if it was just one thing, like if John just disputed that conversation, that would be mm-hmm. one thing. But then there's like Ron is disputing the courthouse argument and disputing her parents say she's a whistleblower. Yeah. So I'm just like, everything's a lie. Yeah. I mean, there's and I mean, and I mean, there's two sides to every story and the truth is somewhere in the middle. usually. Yeah. And, and I could see, too, with them wanting her her case to get attention and but also wanting to protect her her reputation i mean she's right. a doctor well, you I'm know everything and i'm like i know that like family is going to protect their mm-hmm. their family and stuff like that but i'm sitting here thinking about the fact that they were willing to lie on such a huge level about her being a 9-11 hero to get her name out there mm-hmm. which i know that they were desperate but they were willing to lie that hard yeah to all of america in a situation like 9-11 that mm-hmm. just happened. So, I mean, then coming out and lying about everything the detective said, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I ain't going to put it past them. Right. I'm not going to say like that said, they're the worst like, people I'm... in the world or some shit for that because it makes sense. Because that's, the, you know, that's their kid. That's their sister. That's their wife. I understand. Mm-hmm. But they they have already proven that they're willing to lie. Right. Ron filed a petition to the court in 2003 to have Sneha declared an official victim of the 9-11 attacks. The law states that there has to be clear and convincing evidence that there was exposure to the attack to receive benefits of the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund. Judge Renee Roth ruled in 2006 that it couldn't be proven she died due to the attack and set her date of death, of her legal death, at September 10th, 2004 three years after she was reported missing. Oh, yeah, because it takes three mm-hmm. years to be declared dead. Yeah. yeah. Sneha's family appealed in 2008 and compared her case to one, I think I'm saying his last name right, La Fuente. His case was similar to Sneha's and was based off circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. His case, however, was accepted. He had recently lost a job, was struggling with depression, and was a fire marshal in Poughkeepsie, New York. His office was eight blocks from the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. There was testimony in his case from someone who frequented the same deli that he did, claiming that he had overheard one stating he had a meeting at the Twin Towers on September 11th. Mm -hmm. So Sneha's family believes that the only reason his case was accepted was because his wife, Colette, was the mayor of Poughkeepsie. And Poughkeepsie is not too far from New York City. I mean, I get their reasoning for yeah. thinking that. Yeah. I understand. They ended up winning that appeal, which made Sneha the 2,751st victim of the World Trade Center collapse. Mm-hmm. Ron didn't receive any money from the Victims Fund because it closed in 2003. But for him, it wasn't about the money. Right. It was getting Sneha's name added to the list of victims. And it was. It was added at the National September 11th Memorial. Wouldn't she tell her mama that she was going to go look at something? Yeah, she was going to go to Windows of the World. She wanted to do that sometime that week. Uh-huh. So, you know, maybe maybe that's what she did. Yeah, I mean, you know? she could have been there. I mean, Sneha's name was added to the National September 11th Memorial. Her name can be found at the South Pool on panel S66. And that's basically where it, where this case ends. We don't know for sure. I mean, like, 100%. Yeah, we have no 100%. What do, what do you think happened? I think there's a possibility that she did go because she had told her mom that she was going to go at some point in mm-hmm. the next few days. So there's that possibility that she did go. 
but I also think that, you know, there's always that possibility that something could have happened to her. You know, somebody could have taken her. She could have run away. If she was having all of these issues and they were all true and we, they could be proven 100% true that she was having these alcohol problems and this, that, and the other. I could see where maybe she would have run away, but also... Or maybe ended ended her own life. Right. I mean, if, she, if it was suicide, but... then I understand why she didn't take her belongings and right. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Like, you would need your ID and stuff like that. But also, if you're going to run away and start, like, a whole new life, you're going to need your ID for something at some point. Yeah, at some and point. also, you're going to need more money than a credit limit on. Yeah. I, so, Seha was a doctor. She was, you know, if we're talking about Juan LaFuente, okay, he was a fire marshal. Seha was a doctor. Mm-hmm. They both were probably inclined to run and help. Right. And if if that was Sneha at in that lobby in her building, apartment building, you know, it was like three minutes before the plane hit the North Tower and she left that that person if it was Sneha left the apartment a couple of minutes later. So is it possible? Because she would have heard it. Like, th- their apartment right. was so close, she would have heard the boom, mm-hmm. you know, and would have ran out of the apartment, looked up, and seen a plane. I mean, I think it's possible that she just went and helped. To help, because there were, you know, hundreds yeah. of people who did that. You know, nurses yeah, and doctors exactly. and paramedics, EMTs, policemen who were mm-hmm. off-duty that, you know, see went. this happening and just went. And so I think it's a huge possibility that she did do that. Yeah. I think it's the most likely scenario. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I did, I forgot about the whole lobby part. Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, it, there's always the possibility that something could have happened on the tent. There her is. family's just weird to me. Like, them saying all that stuff about everything that that detective said wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I think they were just trying to paint her in the best light possible, maybe. I don't know. But... And the whole store situation... I saw her with yeah. someone. Camera mm-hmm. says no says I. Yeah. You know, it is just that that's weird. That's the weirdest mm-hmm. part to me. And also like if that person unless they had ulterior motives, right? Why not speak up and say you're a Westang? Yeah, why didn't you say like I unless was with you were her. afraid of something, you know? So that was the part for me that was like, well, maybe some like she was with someone and something happened. Yeah. That is, so yeah, that is the story of Dr. Sneha Phillips. I love a good weird missing person case. Yes. Well, I'm, I guess, I mean, I guess it's not really officially missing anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I I went back and forth because, like, Sneha's mom won't do, like, another interview with, like, if it says, like, missing, essentially. Because she's like, my daughter isn't missing. Right. She, she died in 9-11. She died in 9-11. Yeah. But also, did she? I know. Did but you? her family truly believes that's what happened to her. And I, I understand, like, you want closure as a family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for all we know, they know something that we don't. Maybe they know that she was there or something like that. But... I think if they knew that, they would have said it. I don't know. They're kind of weird. Like, <laughs> not in, like, a bad way, but it's mm-hmm. just, like, strange them going out and saying this was mm-hmm. all... I really think her brother did that out, out of desperation. Like, when he first said that she was in the towers. Well, that, but I'm talking about... Then, you know, the detective saying, well, he told me that she was sleeping with mm-hmm. his girlfriend. And he's like, no, I never said that. No, yeah. I did not. 
use a lie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's just, that whole thing's weird. But they all did it. Like, mm-hmm. the brother did it. The husband did it. The parents did it. It's not like it was just him. So. And, like, I don't I don't see, like, if they got an argument at the court, like her and Ron, that was at a courthouse. Like, why would a police officer just make that up? I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's totally we don't know. unheard of we for, don't a know. Police report to be, for a police report to be fabricated. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that that's not possible. It 100% is. I mean, we know dirty cops exist. You know, whole police departments that are, you know, that cover stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. And any other time, I would say, sure, that's a big possibility. But that, they, at that time, given the, had no, like, yeah. who had the time, probably, to, like, just make up a report, you know? Or who had the, like, just the mental capacity yeah. to just be like, I'm just going to... I'm just going to make this shit up. Make make it up, you know? It was just such a... And maybe, and maybe in there, in her family's head, it's like, they were making that up because they were so stretched in and they didn't have the time or the manpower to do it, so they were just making stuff up about Sneha to get it right. closed. I get that. I get that line of thinking, mm-hmm. you know? It's just... Everything is a toss-up, and mm-hmm. I don't know, and it's real weird. And that's why I like missing cases, because, you know, you, you just don't know. There's hope that Sneha will get identified by, like, her jewelry or something, because mm-hmm. there's still jewelry from 9-11 that hasn't been claimed. Mm-hmm. So maybe one day that'll happen, but... As of right now, she is declared a victim of 9-11. So. And there's that. And there's that. That was our first missing case. It was a a weird one. It was a good Mm -hmm. one. I love a good weird case. Those are my favorite. Weird and really old cases. Mm -hmm. I love a really old case. Yeah. I know you love a really old case. I do. I love the old ones. Yeah. Why is that? I don't. Why do you think that is? why Why do I like the old ones? Yeah. I think I just like old things in general. I mean, sure, but I find them sometimes a little bit more frustrating. I think they're more intriguing. Yeah, I mean, they are intriguing, but they're also very frustrating. There's more left to the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I enjoy. And I think it's cool to look into how they did things. Like, you know, last week with Hinterkaifeck, like the autopsies. Mm-hmm. They would remove heads and autopsies because that was the only way that they knew at the time how to get to the brain. So yeah, that's interesting. You know that, yeah. like, there's that. I just, I think that it was um, cooler. <laughs> you think it's cooler? I think it was cooler. <laughs> yeah. I also think they're so, creepier, and I love creepy shit. So I will definitely do another missing case at some point. We got, we got some, some, some ones coming up to some pack. good ones. Yeah, and I think we also we're gonna do. There's a lot of people missing in, like, Hawkins County. And I know that we've talked Hawkins about this. Hawkins County, Tennessee, where yeah, Katie lives. where I live. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of weird missing person cases there. So we're going to cover, I think we're going to do that maybe together because there's a few. Okay. Um, I know we talked about it, like, before we even did the podcast, but mm-hmm. we just got to tread carefully. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's some. We've got to tread carefully. There's some names that I'll have to leave out because I know these people. So. Yeah. But I'll oof. tell you behind scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say, oof. Oof. Big oof. Well, guys, thanks for listening yet again. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. All the pictures from this episode will be on our social media. 
let us know in the comments what you think happened to Sneha. We'd be really interested to to see your theories. Yeah, and talk to you about them. So yeah, until next time. Till next Tuesday. Till next Tuesday. It'll be Katie's case. My case. Whatever she's gonna do, I don't know. But I've I've picked one. I just haven't started research on it. Yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do that. What was that? I need to do that. You need to do that. I need to do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. All of the sources we used for this episode will be linked in our show notes. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Uliberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M three podcast and you can find us on facebook under the name of our podcast which is murder mayhem and merlot <laughs>